always depended on the kindness of strangers. All right, so he's not a regular rat or, or even a super rat. He's a scared little mouse, that's all. Ha, I had two years to grow claws, Mother. Jungle Ray! Hello, and welcome to The Real Woman, a podcast about all things cinematic. I am your host, Emmanuel Perryman. Joining me today is Anne James. She is an advocate for the growing field of intimacy directors of color. She has an extensive career in theater education, and as an internationally certified educator, she has had the opportunity to teach on four continents. Her directing career has allowed her to work on the premier stages of American theater, such as Steppenwolf, Hartford Stage, The Alley, and The Goodman. Anne not only has over 100 directing credits, she is also the owner of Dreamweaver Productions, China's only registered expat theater. Currently, Anne is pursuing America's first doctoral degree in Afrocentric intimacy direction for people of color because she is devoted to making both the stage and the screen safe places for people of color to practice their craft. Anne, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, there's a lot to unpack there in that intro, but before we jump into it, I just want to briefly tell, give people a little background of how we met because I actually think it's a, it's a super meet cute. It's so cute. I was in Shanghai and it was actually my last day there and I was walking down the sidewalk to go to my B&B and in the middle of the street, not the sidewalk, but the actual street, I see you walking down as someone is filming you and I just stopped and was like what is going on here this is something I need to see and I don't know what you were filming or what was going on exactly I don't recall but but I do know that once it was over somehow we started talking and I'm not even sure how that happened I think I asked you you know what was going on and you were so sweet, and you invited me back to your place, which happened to be, like, next door to where I was staying, and we basically spent the evening, like, I somehow, for some reason, had brought fudge from Mackinac, Mackinac, Michigan fudge, and, I, and we ate fudge and schmoozed all evening, and I just remember when you told me your name was Ann James, I thought... This is Kismet because my mom's name is Anne and my dad's name was James. And I just thought this is perfect. And now all these years later you and my mom are like BFFs. I mean, super friends. <laughs> super friends. I adore her. <laughs> and you know what? I remember uh, I, I was shooting uh, a video because we were about to do a show called Fight Club, I believe. We did Fight Club on stage and uh, in the in this, what used to be a, a war bunker in the middle of the French uh, concession and I was doing a promo for that. I remember it. I remember it. 
Okay, good, good. And and I read recently you starred because uh, you were in China for a number of years. You were in China's number one box office movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay. So that's a weird story. Um, I get this call from a, a woman, and she says, "Hey, do you want to audition for this movie?" Uh, it's a Chinese movie, and it's going to be uh, directed and produced by one of China's leading uh, martial artists. His name is Wu Jing. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. I don't know. I'm, I'm here. Whatever. And uh, I go to the audition. They drive. They fly me to Beijing. They put me up in like this little hotel to kind of sit and take a nap or something. I don't know what I was supposed to do in that room. Then in come these two costumers. They come sweeping into the room and they have all these bolts of fabric and they're like, which ones do you like? I'm like, well, I like that one and that one and that one. Great. They come back 30 minutes later. They had made three dresses. Oh my gosh. With this fabric that fit me perfectly for me to go in and audition for Wu Jing. So I go into the room in this little tiny hotel and Wu Jing is there eating a pla- in a pla- out of, uh, green beans out of a plastic container. He turns around and he looks at me and he goes, can you sing? And I say, yeah, I can sing. He doesn't speak hardly, he speaks hardly no English. Like, yeah, I can sing. So I sing Amazing Grace. And he loves it. And I do some acting, some improvisation with the little kid who's supposed to be my son. Bing, bang, boom, I get in the film. Turns out that the film, oh, I can't even talk about the shooting process, it was amazing. Uh, and find out that it is the highest grossing film of China's film history of all time, still. And what's the title of it? It's called Wolf Warrior 2, available on Netflix. Very cool. Wolf Warrior 2, because there is, in fact, a Wolf Warrior 1. Uh, that didn't do as well, but certainly created this character uh, uh, that is highlighted in Wolf Warrior 2. So, yeah, I got a lot, I got a lot of screen time with him, and I have some lines, and, you know, turned out to be kind of a saint. I was a little Chinese celebrity there for a minute. <laughs> That's awesome. So, jumping forward now, uh, you are a intimacy coordinator. And that's like a super trendy thing right now to the extent that it was parodied on SNL uh, intimacy coordination and they did a spoof of it for Bridgerton. Uh, And my feeling with things that are super trendy is people hear the words, but they don't actually know what that is. They just sort of say it or they hear it, but they don't really know what it is. So my first two questions are, how did you get into intimacy coordination, and what the heck is it? What What is it, actually? <laughs> okay, so I'm going to answer the second question first. Okay. And I'll tell you how I got into it. Is that okay? Yep. Okay, so uh, intimacy coordination is a role that bridges the gap between a highly formulized hierarchy and power dynamic between directors and actors. So 
the way things are, I wish I could say used to be, the way things are is actors are hired to work at the pleasure of the director and the producers pay for it. And there was a time where egregious uh, mistakes were happening between actors wanting to please directors and directors being over-demanding with actor bodies in film and cinema. A couple of cases are, you know, in the known in the media, Selma Hayek uh, was coerced into doing something she didn't feel comfortable with in the beautiful film, Frida. Uh, that news ruined that film for me because it really is a great one, but she, she went through hell in that uh, in that film to make it what it is. And then also last night in uh, Last Tango in Paris, right. where unfortunately, you know, content warning there was uh there, there was an assault of sexual nature that was filmed and is in that film uh so those are some just historical historical uh, crimes basically that were committed for in, in the name of cinema so this job comes in between the actor and the director in in a certain sense and make sure that the director is getting what they need in the camera or uh, in the can and that the actor's boundaries stay intact. Basically, what intimacy coordination is. And we do things like help production with the nudity riders and we uh, work with the costumers and we you know, work as a department head within the film structure, production structure. So you don't just work with the actors, you also work with other production people. And just tell us, uh, for, for those who don't know, what is a writer? A uh, nudity writer? Okay, so that is, a com- that is a conversation in text that adds to the contractual agreement that the actor makes with the production company. And the nudity writer is specific to, I mean, and it goes down to specific parts of an actor's body that are okay to film nude and uh, gives allowances and permissions for uh, camera crew to film these parts of an actor's body. And it goes really down to specifics. and. So, so someone, so if an actress, for example, has to be nude, but they may not feel comfortable showing their rear end, then they would say, you know, you can film me nude, but I don't want you to shoot my rear end, or I don't want you to shoot my boobs. Uh, and, And it can be very specific, like, I don't want you to shoot the front of my boobs, but you could shoot side boob. That's exactly right. So, so the, all that language falls under the nudity writer. And so production will come to me and say, can you discuss these parts of the body that the director would like to use in this particular scene or in this particular way? And we go, uh, intimacy coordinators will then have a conversation uh, with the actor about those requests and then uh we find out what the actor is willing to do and not not wanting to do and then we bring that back to production and we may go back for back and forth a couple of times until we get the writer specific to what the actor is uh comfortable doing 
So we are part of that conversation as well. And it's both for both men and women. Oh yeah. Uh, I feel like it's you tend to think of it more as protecting women, but it but it protects both. Well, I mean, the nudity writers for everybody. It's been, that's been into play um, for for a long time. But yeah, the idea that a lot of our intimacy work and the intimacy industry sprouted from an interest in power dynamic and kind of balancing that power dynamic, certainly in its beginnings. But then when Harvey Weinstein, that story broke and the story in Chicago um, broke with uh, Profiles Theater, all these things seemed to break at the same time, allowing for more interest in uh, intimacy work. So while it's been around a while, like I did intimacy uh, work and development and practice, along with my directing uh, education when I was in college. So, I mean, boundaries and consent have been around a long time, but the coined phrase intimacy director or intimacy coordinator is, I think, directly related to the Me Too movement. So, so there have been intimacy coordinators in the past, but they really didn't get n- notoriety or really become a thing uh, until the Me Too movement. That's right. And interestingly enough, you know, I'm talking with a lot of members of uh, uh, the stunt coordinating world. And actually, a lot of women in stunt coordination have been doing this intimacy work and intimacy choreography for a long time. But they never got the the, the respect or the pay, to be fair, uh, that... uh, some of the women that are doing it now get. A lot of those women were women of color. Right. And now the field is inundated with primarily uh, cis white women, which is interesting. And, and you know, why I started my company, you know, I saw that there were, the scales were a little bit unbalanced when it came to uh, global majority leadership and global majority trainees and... Uh, I started my company, Intimacy Coordinators of Color, to kind of strike a balance and move into this space before it gets swept up and swept away with, uh, you know, almost all white representation. And so how did you actually become involved in intimacy coordination? Okay, so that dovetails perfectly into what I just said. Um, when I, I was, like you mentioned, I was living in China for six and a half years. And before that, I lived in Amsterdam for two years. And before that, I lived in Khartoum, Sudan for, you know, two years. And I had been away from the United States for about 10 years. And when I knew my parents were getting older and I was thinking, you know, now it's time to go back um, so that we can have some, you know, still have some fun. And uh, I've fell upon this idea of intimacy direction but reading an article or something because I knew I was going to be moving to LA and I wanted something fresh to kind of kickstart my entry back into the American entertainment industry. So I said, huh, this intimacy direction, I've been, I, I'm familiar with that. I did that, you know, I use that in my practice as a director all the time. Now there's an actual job for it. Great. And so I started doing some research 
And the first thing I did was notice that on all the website, it was just basically all white women, pictures of white women doing this work. And the training was in places like Jackson Hole, um, you know, very exclusive white parts of the country. These trainings are happening. And you had to jump on a plane and fly there, and it was expensive, and the classes were expensive. And to me, it just was like, I wonder if they realize that they don't have any people of color. So I reached out and I, you know, I reached out to the leaders of this, of this burgeoning industry. And that was about two years ago. And I said, Hey, um, do you realize that there aren't, you don't, there's no representation of anything other than white women in your group. I, I have, a lot of training in corporate structure and corporate design and corporate, you know, do you want me to help you? And they were like, yeah, 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 okay. So I met with them, and then at the same time, I was interested in becoming an intimacy director. And um, so I started taking classes, and the more the same happened, and I just got to, I got to a point where I was at the Eugene O'Neill uh, center and doing a tra- an eight day intensive training uh, with one of these organizations and I just put out an email to a few groups saying hey would you be interested in taking training uh, this intimacy training from a person of color how do you feel about it and I got like 14 likes and 30 or 40 emails telling me hey this is a field I feel like I can't get into. I feel like it's kind of elitist. I feel like the training isn't provided in bigger cities. It's too expensive, all these things. So I started my company uh, right then, or I started a Facebook group, um, Intimacy Directors of Color, uh, right then. And, and so that was kind of the launch of the company and the reason why I just started this, uh, decided to start my own company. And now... I have a cohort of about 20 students. Um, I do not believe in certification. I believe more in qualification. And um, yeah, it's just, it's going great. It's going wonderful. Now, the the mission statement of Intimacy Coordinators of Color states that you will support and promote decolonized intimacy education and inclusive hiring practices in the entertainment industry. Could you talk a little bit about that in terms of what what do you mean when you say decolonized intimacy education? Well, I think a lot of the of the assumptions out there is that you will become an intimacy coordinator based on your experience and based on your identity and then move out into the world to uh, try to understand different types of intimacy from different identities and my big concern was that there were a lot of white women choreographing intimacy for global majority actors and when you're coming from a patriarchal supremacist point of view which is, you know, I mean, some could say it's the fault of the individual. Some could say it's the fault of society. Whatever that is, if you're coming in as a privileged person, 
then can you really deeply understand what it means to be marginalized? Can you really empathize with the expression or the identity of someone who does not have the same background that you do? And that certainly has a more marginalized background than you do. So that's what I mean by decolonizing. You know, the more people, the more identities, uh, the better and more truthful, I feel, intimacy will be on stage and on screen. And so just to play devil's advocate, uh, someone might say, well, are you suggesting that white people direct white people and black people direct black people and Asian people. I mean, you know, the, 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 the possible concern of a, of a segregation of sorts that, well, you know, a black woman can only direct intimacy coordinate for a black couple, but not a white couple and vice versa. What, what would you say to, to, to someone who, you know, suggested that? Well, I would say, you know, let's talk about access. Let's talk about balancing the scales before we talk about segregation. I mean, you know, for every five intimacy coordinators, a half of one is a person of color. Right. So, I mean, yes, I would say, especially in this particular time in our country, it is not a bad idea to make sure that when we're talking about intimacy, and I'm not talking about all kinds of intimacy, not just sexual intimacy, but cultural intimacy, racial intimacy, intimacy between young people and old people, intimacy uh, for uh, people with neurodiversity, intimacy for people with disabilities. So until we can find a way for representation to happen that is equal to the population of the country, I don't think we can talk about segregation. I think we need to get the numbers up in inclusivity and in equity. And if that makes sense. Yes, yes, it does. I find this a fascinating subject. What? So you brought up an interesting point that when we say intimacy, I think most people assume sexual but there are other types what are the what's another area of intimacy when you say intimacy if it's not sexual what other areas might you help someone in well i think there's a lot um when it comes to defining other types of intimacy that we can directly relate to um what the eeoc uh, defines as the protected classes. So whenever you're, so that would be uh, race, color, religion, um, sexual identity, age, neurodiversity. These are all the things, these are all the, the classes that this EEOC protects, the Equal Employment Commission. Uh, and so if an actor is playing a person with one of these identities that is protected or happens to be a member of the protected classes. I think there has to be a certain amount of attention paid to how that actor is going to tell stories about their identity. 
So for instance, if we have a story that includes enslaved people, African-American enslaved people in this country, there's so much weight that goes into telling these stories that when it comes to, uh, in particular, a story where an enslaved person is beaten on stage or or shackled on stage or um, sexually assaulted on stage or on screen, certainly a person of this identity or coming from an African-American point of view in this particular case, uh, creating the intimate choreography around that interchange between privilege and enslavement certainly calls for uh, an intimacy choreographer to come in, not only to gauge the consent and boundaries of the African-American and Black actors in those cases to make sure that their trauma response is uh, not engaged or any of the trauma responses are not um, observed uh, to ask questions about consent along the rehearsal process and filming process. Um, I think it just makes a healthier entertainment industry if we can embrace all those different types of um, intimacy as opposed to just really focusing on sex between white men and white women, which is basically where we were in this industry for a long time. Right. And I mean, it's been like three years, but, you know, I mean, not, I'm to, not tooting my own horn, but certainly before I came into the industry, it was a lot more white than it is now. So, you know, and it was also very focused on sex between white people. So I working with organizations like ART New York and Actors Equity and SAG-AFTRA and pleading the case that the whole industry needs to be a little bit more diverse, a lot more uh, diverse and inclusive, I think has changed the map of intimacy. And I'm just gonna throw that out there. I think that's just amazing. And the fact that you've managed to do so much in a relatively short amount of time shows that there was clearly a desire for it. Yeah, Uh, yes. Maybe 100%. maybe not within the industry, but but there were. No, I mean, there's a lot of gatekeeping. There is a lot of gatekeeping uh, in this business because I feel like maybe the original, what are they? Original groundbreakers, I guess. Um, just want to, you know, they want to make sure that no one is getting into this 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 industry to cause harm and I really appreciate that and I respect that but now that it's opening the gatekeeping has become more present Mm -hmm. and more protective and more exclusionary especially in Hollywood you know there there have been some gatekeeping tactics of late that really smack of the patriarchy and jumping through hoops in order to be vetted by the largest acting union, um, which is SAG, SAG AFTRA. So it's troubling, but it's also like, I mean, you can't monopolize the industry just because you have a relationship with, you know, an organization that intimacy coordinators should not be part of. Um, 
you know, and I think that's the big move. There's talk of equity and SAG after getting together and creating this monopoly on actors in the country, which is horrific because I feel, in my opinion, both uh, both unions need a lot of work when it comes to diversity and uh, inclusion. But uh, yeah, there's that kind of talk, and then there's kind of talk around intimacy coordinators being uh, having to be union members of SAG, and I'm just like, no, I don't want to be a member of either of these faulty unions. I mean, I guess do well for their members in some instances, but you know, that's not really on the news right now. I'm surprised there wouldn't be a union specifically for intimacy coordinators. I mean, that seems you're not actors. So why would you be in the acting union? I mean, that just doesn't even make sense. Writers aren't in SAG. They're right. I mean, they're in their own screenwriters guild. I mean, WGA and SGA. Yeah, that's right. So it would, it would seem odd. I think indeed for you to join SAG. Yeah, exactly. That's that's interesting, and and I, we should say, we've been mentioning theater and film, but this is also in television. This oh, is absolutely. this is across the board, uh, in all. And now, my question is, is an intimacy coordinator mandatory? No. So someone could direct a movie that has, for example, a sex scene in it, but not have an intimacy coordinator on set. Correct. And you know what? I'm not against that. Like, I I really feel as though when you start dictating what a production company has to have, that there are going to be ways to skirt around that and there are loopholes and contracts that cause more harm than making it a free market. If a director feels like they can handle a kiss in a scene in their film, great, then I say let that director do what they need to do. If there is, in fact, something that a stage, uh, if, in fact, the director doesn't feel comfortable investigating or feels like there should be an expert in that particular type of um, intimacy expression, then certainly production should hire an intimacy professional. But yeah, you know, in the UK, they just announced that intimacy coordinators on set are mandatory. Oh, okay. Interesting. that frightens me because then is there going to be the push for the intimacy industry to speed through the education of what intimacy is in order to meet the demands of the market? And that scares me. Right. Because then you have more potential for harm or people uh, making enough mistakes on set that the industry itself gets demoted in importance and things go back to the way they were, which is more actors being harmed. So it's like I'm kind of like the pump the brakes person. That's why, you know... Well, we could go into the way I train as opposed to the way some other companies train. But I'm, I'm all about releasing qualified intimacy specialists into the field as opposed to a number of, you know, I'm not trying to, I, I don't believe in the puppy mill um, right. 
kind of idea just to simply infuse the market with sub-trained people with an intimacy certification because it certainly takes a nuance and it takes working under someone for a certain amount of time. It takes a shadowing idea or some form of, of in, entree into the field without just dumping people on set with the with a piece of paper and saying, okay, uh, I'm ready to do this heavily um, intense scene of intimacy, which, you know, I don't know. So what is someone who's interested in becoming an intimacy coordinator, what would be the training that they would, that they would receive? And, and, and cause I, I am interested in what sort of the basic training is and then how do you diverge from that? I mean, I think the basic training um, would be understanding what best practices are, you know, how to behave on set, how to um, in, how to communicate effectively, um, how to choreograph an actual scene, or how to think about your choreography style in in you know uh, working on a, a particular text or, or script. Um, and kind of, you know, notating that choreography um, that is repeatable. And, you know, they're all different, all different, uh, you know, I would call, I guess, electives. Uh, What we concentrate on outside of those basics is that I would, I would like people who train under me to understand what intersectionality is, to think about what it means to be intimate in the LGBTQIA um, ideation or identity and how that differs from intimacy coordination and can be more specific to that community. Um, I would like uh, the trainees that I work with to know a lot about racial trauma in the rehearsal room and what that looks like and how to recognize traumatic response. So there's a mental health um, aspect to what we do. Um, I also have a lot of prerequisites that I like my trainees to take and they have become standard uh, in the industry. Uh, One of them is mental health and first aid certificate. Another, which is a three year certificate, um, bystander intervention training, uh, for my coordinators here in LA, I'd like them to pick up a COVID-19 compliant officer certification so that they know the COVID protocol as it comes out, because that's an ever-changing thing that we need to dance around in our field out here in LA or in the film and film and television industry. Um, I like them to have sexual harassment training, and uh, that is, you know, like a six or seven hour long. Uh, class and they get a certificate after that. So there's all these prerequisites that kind of form a, a, a scrying bowl, if you will, like a container uh, for what type of person. If you can pass all those prerequisites and then get the training of the, of the um, best practices and the basics and then uh, Think about intersectionality as a component of your of your training. Um, 
I would consider that person to be qualified to shadow and to begin their career as a professional. Uh, I offer my training for free to my um, to my cohort, but you might be expected to pay upwards of eight to ten thousand dollars in other other programs. Oh wow, that's that's a hefty price. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting to me because I, on the one hand, I never thought about it, but I mean, films have always had fight coordinators, fight choreographers. Uh, a director would certainly not necessarily take it upon themselves to choreograph a fight, and yet they felt comfortable coordinating or choreographing uh, a sex scene or an intimate an intimate scene. That it just seems like that would be something that would have been around for a while already, you know? I mean, that just seems, it's one of those things that seems obvious and yet hasn't, apparently has not been because you've, you've mentioned a number of cases and I've, and I think we've all heard of, you know, maybe what might be considered minor, but still infractions and, and, I've heard of male actors who, uh, you know, became aroused during a scene that a woman, you know, mm-hmm. had an issue with. And I think it was, I want to say David Niven. It was some older actor, and I want to say David Niven, who said something like, I apologize if I become aroused and I apologize if I don't. And he kind of thought that was like a cute thing. But it's really not. And I feel like it's, it has become, you know, it was sort of, it was sort of jokey at one point that, oh, well, he kind of, you know, became aroused. And I feel like at least with the Me Too movement, that's, they're saying, you know, it's really not, funny and it's uncomfortable and uh so I you know if you could speak a little bit about that yeah I mean what we're talking about is an industry that is run 99.9% by men so when you talk about the bravado of directors saying oh yeah I got it I can I can I can direct the sex scene um that comes from a certain male patriarchal bravado um, and certainly that the scenes that were coming that are coming out that we, you know historically are through the male gaze and so not only has that not been helpful for women's rights um, because we are pictured often as the weaker sex or as the one that is vulnerable or needs to be saved um, in film uh, that it when we talk about having more say as a gender in this process, um, I think it benefits the industry, but it also makes men uncomfortable uh, when they see uh, someone embodied as a woman coming in as the intimacy coordinator. Sometimes, sometimes it's a sense of relief because everyone has a different comfort level when it comes to, uh, directors have, different comfort levels certainly they're not all, all male directors are not all a monolith um but historically and statistically i will say that um you know the confidence or the bravado 
that male directors in general have on handling the sex scenes um, certainly has kept it from uh, any kind of concern that that a director would have, say, for fight choreography or stunt coordination. Um, Certainly those, and, and those primarily, those jobs primarily go to white men as well. Right. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I don't want to say that the film industry is run by a white male monolith, but on the other hand, we had to look at the facts. Right. And would you find that on the, you know, relatively small, uh, hopefully growing number of female directors that they are more would you find that they're more affable to having an intimacy coordinator or that they, oh, yeah. yeah? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm working on a television show right now that's directed by all women. All the producers are women. The actors are women and the crew are my majority women. It's unreal. That sounds like, like, a, a like the Bigfoot of... <laughs> Film I mean, production, really? Going, oh, there's a woman, there's a woman, there's a woman, there's a woman. It's amazing. And yes, it's amazing. It's unfortunate that it's amazing. Right. You know, I mean, we we hire who we know, and so men hire men predominantly, and women will more likely hire women. Yes. I don't know. It's it's there are a lot of there's a lot of issues there. So many. As we've said, there are fight choreographers. Would you, as an intimacy coordinator, work in conjunction with a fight choreographer on a fight scene, or is that still just the? I'm thinking, for example, if if there's a scene where a man is beating up a woman. Is that something that you would work with the fight choreographer with, or is that just the just solely the area of the of the fight choreographer? It depends. It depends on what the you know the the people who are in the scene, what their identities are. If there's a power dynamic in the in the uh, you know, an implied cultural power dynamic between the two people in the fight. Um, I would certainly like to consult on that if uh, it is an assault of, if the fight is uh, a, a in sexual in nature, certainly um, that would be a place to call in a, an intimacy coordinator to kind of... Um, work with the fight coordinator. I haven't really done that on in film. I've, I have had the opportunity to work on a, a play uh, with uh, American Conservatory Theater, which is one of the leading acting schools in the country. And there was a case where there was a scene of repetitive... Well, the instance itself had happened many times before this particular instance in the play. Uh, and then it was sexual and violent. It started off as something uh, kind of with a, a warped, romantic kind of feeling. And then it turned into something aggressive and violent. 
And so I had the opportunity to work with a fight director hand in hand on the choreography of that scene. And that was really a remarkable experience. That sounds very interesting because that fighting and intimacy, there's a, there's a thin line. I mean, it's a very, it's very intimate to fight someone. Uh, and so it seems natural that, that you would, that you and the fight coordinator would be in tandem together. Uh-huh. Yeah, because they have skills that I don't have and I have skills that they don't have. And between us, we serve the play and we serve the director and we serve the actor. So it was a really brilliant stroke of genius that that director and that production organization run by Pam McKinnon, I believe is her name. She's the director of that program at ACT. Uh, were brilliant enough to think, hey, maybe we need both in this instance, um, which which was great. Now, can you tell, and I don't, you know, I certainly could not, could you tell, particularly watching movies from earlier decades, when an intimacy coordinator was not there? I mean, can you tell when a, when a scene was not handled well? No. I mean, you know, the editor is going to get in the can what is the best thing for the movie. So we're only seeing the choice. We're not seeing outtake, 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 where, you know, the actress bursts into tears or the actor uh, gets an erection or the actor, you know, steps beyond their boundaries or you know we're not seeing those takes we're only seeing the perfect one we don't know what the actor had to go through in order to get to that perfect one so no I don't think we're seeing the impact of you know directly manifested in the final product of an intimacy coordinator but I guess the influence that I feel we have is how that actor leaves that experience. Are they enthusiastic and moving toward their next project with joy? Or are they broken and decide to quit the industry? Right, right. That's where that's where we come in is creating longevity for actors, um, I think is, is what my mantra is. It's interesting because we've seen scenes sex scenes where there maybe wasn't chemistry but they they often blame the actors for that whenever i've heard that i thought well you don't get that in a fight if you see a a fight that's not choreographed well you can tell you can kind of tell that was not a, that was not good choreography you see a dance number that's not done well you can tell but I wonder if some of those situations where there wasn't chemistry, if an intimacy coordinator had been there to talk with them and work through that, if that may not have, you know, maybe helped the situation. I think maybe so. And, and certainly in, in some instances, yes, I can say definitely um, improving the chemistry improves the film and if you have a professional there that can kind of generate that that um that chemistry without stepping into the boundaries of the actors and making sure that they're you know within their consent um yeah we can manufacture chemistry it's just choreography you know yeah um you know 
I, th- I think we have a skill uh, or at least a, a, an emotional intelligence to make sure that the work that we do does not impact the actors negatively. Um, you know, sometimes uh, directors go too far in a scene and, you know, the body does not know that it's not actually making love. The body is reacting. Right. So, you know, how many generated showmances have we had because the director was not able to create repeatable choreography and the actors um, uh, could act with to stay within their boundaries, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm glad that this is a burgeoning field. I'm glad that you are working to expand the field to include different voices, different representation, better representation. As I've said, I know that it's kind of the trendy thing right now, but my concern with trends is they end. Uh And so what happens next year, two years, five years from now when it's not the thing that's being talked about? Is this something that could possibly fall by the wayside once it's no longer in the spotlight? Well, you know, I'd tell you one thing that that would be, you know, absolutely instrumental in making that happen, which I hope doesn't happen, is, uh, like I said before, just infiltrating the industry with with um, people that have subpar training um, simply to meet the demands of a Hollywood that now has to legally have intimacy coordinators on every single set. I think that would be awful. Um, and to just have people who not only are trained in intimacy coordinator coordinating, but now there's a cultural coordination. There is diversity editing. There is, you know, the way this, you know, I feel that you're very right. Like people are gonna be like, oh, intimacy coordinator. It's already been spoofed on SNL, which is huge. Um, So it is a thing. But also, I think there, you know, there as something moves into a multi-billion-dollar industry, there's going to be pushback because it is pushing into the power center of the director as God. So you're pushing into that energy, and I just think we have to be very careful about being where we're needed and being where we're wanted, and not forcing an industry to accept us. That would be detrimental to uh the the field because you know there's always there's already a sort of tongue-in-cheek kind of attitude about intimacy coordinators that's already been established uh simply because i think uh producers may have felt pressure to have intimacy coordinators on set and then those intimacy coordinators you know kind of made a botch a botch of the deal or uh, weren't taken very seriously by the crew. You know, crews can be brutal. If they, if they accept you, great. But if not, they will tease you until you're just booted out. And I've heard of these horror stories of this happening um, in, in, in situations where the intimacy coordinator may have been a little naive or a little too pushy or a little too sex policey and it just didn't sit well with the way things happen on set. So, 
um, it's a fine line to create a, a, a line of respect for what we do. And, you know, like I said, pushing into this multi-billion dollar industry with this new kind of made up job, even though it is a good thing to have, it certainly is something that was generated because of, 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 of white women being unhappy with how they were treated. So it's kind of, it's, it's kind of an interesting dance um, that I do on set. Um, I try to stay invisible until needed, and then I become very visible. And I wouldn't want anybody to to mess that up for for people who are moving into this industry. Um, yeah, because I saw a TV show recently where there were, there was an intimacy coordinator as a character, and it was you know kind of a high maintenance. I mean, yes, yes, it was. That was a great scene. Yes, it was. It was. And I liked her, but at the same time, I felt like she was sort of portrayed as a little flaky. A little awkward. A little awkward, a little like, you know, hippy dippy. And Mm -hmm. that's fine, but, you know, I don't want, I wouldn't want that to be the soul image that people have in their minds of what an intimacy coordinator is or does. Yeah, so let's do a film. Let's do a film about a black intimacy coordinator, Emmy. Yes, I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) The time has come. The time has come. (laughs) Well, Anne, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I'm, I'm, you're so welcome. And it was such short notice. I mean, I asked you and you were like, yes, we'll do it Friday. Well, you know what? I had a, I had a window of time because, you know, I'm working on this television show here in LA and then uh, all of June, well, from June 10th to the end of the month, I'm going to be in New York seeing your mom. Yes. Um, yes. I had to get to you before my know. mom did. <laughs> exactly. So this was just a perfect window, and I'm so glad um, that I had a moment to to speak with you, um, simply because we have known of one another for so long, and uh, it was my pleasure. Now, uh, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, I'm at at Intimacy Coordinators of Color uh, on Insta, and then I also uh, co-host a podcast uh, with a dear friend of mine, Carly Wexstein. We are the only podcast directly focused on the intimacy industry, and that podcast is called Intimacy Choreography in Conversation, uh, and that can be found at ICIC underscore Anne and Carly, C-A-R-L-Y. Um, so, yeah, you can find me there. You can. We're also on Spotify and iTunes with that podcast, Intimacy Choreography in Conversation. And do you still have the, the Facebook page, the Intimacy Coordinators of Color? Yeah, I do, but it's like, you know, I don't really Facebook. Okay. And and I wanted to just quickly mention B B Entertainment. Black B. Black B, yes. yes. So yeah, this is a cool thing. So Black B Entertainment is a partnership that I have with two divine goddesses. 
Tavia Jefferson and Marissa Kennedy. And what we have done is we've kind of joined our Spidey powers together to form <laughs> Black Bee Entertainment, or I guess they would be our, our, our spider powers. Um, to, well, no, not spider power, bee powers, that's what I meant, <laughs> um, to create this company that focuses on training predominantly white theatrical institutions in intimacy for institutions, cultural coordination, and diversity editing. So we're like a three-person deal that comes into uh, entertainment organizations and kind of helps them unpack um, their, you know, developing their anti-racist um, um, division, helping them with diversity, helping them with institutional intimacy, which is a whole thing. Um, but yeah, we're, we're Black Bee Entertainment and, and we're working with ART New York um to to really kind of educate theater companies in New York um there are about 300 members uh of ART that we have access to and that have access to us to kind of go into their organizations and help them unpack these difficult um and yet necessary areas of their developing companies that's fabulous, and you're and you're of a web. That's a website, Black Bee Entertainment. Yeah, BlackBeeEntertainment.com, all together. Okay, well, thank you very much. This has been just a really enlightening and educational discussion for me, and I will put all of your social media links uh, in the in the episode notes. Oh, fantastic! Thank you so much, Emmy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Real Woman. Please join me next time when my guest will be Dr. Christopher Ames, author of the book Movies About Movies, Hollywood Reflected. Have a good evening.